All right. Welcome, welcome. We're going to be studying Colossians chapter 2. Very exciting, uh, very uh, significant chapter in a wonderful um, book of scripture in Colossians. Lots for us to learn. Really good theology teaching us about who Jesus is and helping us to understand um, (coughs) uh, some of the the call of the early church. So this is the this is the Apostle Paul writing to um, a group of uh, Christians who are uh, coming together in a region uh, called Colossae. Uh, so that's what we're going to be studying this evening is Colossians chapter 2. Um, so I'll do a little bit of recap of chapter 1. I won't spend too much time there, but I want to make sure everybody is caught up to speed, especially toward the later part of Colossians chapter 1, so that we can... Um, really head into Colossians chapter 2 with a good understanding of what are uh, some of the things that Paul is discussing in this letter, uh, this epistle to uh, the church in Colossae. So excited to be studying Colossians chapter 2 this evening. Um, We're excited about all of the uh, upcoming possibilities at home at at our home church. Um, We continue to meet outside on Sunday mornings under the tents while the sanctuary is being remodeled. And so We will be um, moving back into the sanctuary in due time, but for the time being, we are enjoying being able to worship together outside. Um, It's a blessing to have the space that we do on our property so that we can can come and and worship together, fellowship together, study God's word together. Um, So we're, we're really fortunate, and we're also fortunate to have technology, which gives us the ability to meet together this evening. Um, so I'll go ahead and uh, get ready to get started. There's, um, there's plenty to cover in Colossians chapter 2, but as I mentioned, um, I do want to backtrack just a little bit to highlight a few things from Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll move into a few things that we can learn and take away from Colossians chapter 2. So let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into the scriptures. Lord, I thank you for this chance to be together this evening. Um, via Facebook Live. I thank you for our church and for the wonderful people uh, who make up our our spiritual community. Um, Thank you for the support, the fellowship, the encouragement that exists within the body. Uh, Thank you for calling us to live our lives according to the calling that you placed on us, uh, for us to leave and walk away from a life of sin, a life of disconnection uh, from you, and, uh, and move into a life that is Uh, closely aligned with your spirit's direction over us teach us tonight through your word and pray lord that we would have open eyes open ears open hearts to receive what you are speaking to us through colossians chapter 2 this evening guide us as a church guide us as an as individuals uh, as families into your truth Um, so we ask this in jesus name this evening amen all right so colossians uh, chapter 2 so like i said i want to um, I want to back up just a little bit because I do think it's important to reiterate um, a few verses from Colossians chapter 1 to understand some of the tone and trajectory of, um, of Colossians before we move on to chapter 2 for this evening. So I want to just go back. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Um, So it reads like this. uh, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Um, so again, just a few uh, very powerful verses in Colossians chapter 1. Um, in many ways, um, Colossians 1 verses 15 through 18 stands out. It stands out as um, a brief theology that the Apostle Paul's giving to describe who Jesus is, what he's like, and how we are to respond to his identity and his divinity. Um, we, we call that good theology or uh, we actually uh, have another word for it when we're talking about who Jesus is. It's called Christology, uh, spelled just like Christology. And so when we refer to Christology, we're referring to studying and understanding who Jesus is. Um, so as we look at these uh, few verses here in Colossians chapter 1, talking about um, the image of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God. In other words, uh, Jesus is the, uh, the, the embodiment of, of God, the embodiment of the Father. Jesus is the representation, a physical representation of God who is spirit and gives us the ability to have communion, the, the ability to have uh, fellowship, uh, the, the ability to be able to perceive the presence of God. So it starts out there by saying he's the image of the invisible God in verse 15, chapter one, the firstborn over all creation. So I want to just for a moment uh, comment on that notion that Jesus himself is the firstborn of all creation. Some of you may think, wait a second, I thought Christmas is the time where we celebrate the birth of Christ and he was born in Bethlehem and his mom's name was Mary and uh, the father that he was born to was Joseph, even though we know that uh, Mary was a virgin. Uh, so some may be thinking, um, as we as we read Colossians 1, uh, how is Jesus the firstborn of creation and also uh, the baby who was born in Bethlehem. And so this gets us to uh, understanding the theology um, uh, and, and understanding who Jesus is. See, Jesus, uh, as much as he came to earth and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, um, the, the, the Jesus as the Christ um, has been uh, part of the eternal Godhead or the eternal Trinity from the beginning of time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, that's what we refer to as the Trinity. In other words, there was never a time when God wasn't, and there was never a time when Jesus wasn't or the Holy Spirit wasn't. Um, the Trinity has ever existed um, for all eternity and, and will continue to exist throughout all eternity. We, on the other hand, are, infin are, are finite, whereas God is infinite. And so to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation is essentially to say that before Adam and Eve were created, uh, Jesus was already seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Um, and later, uh, at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is what we refer to as the incarnation, which is uh, the fact that Jesus decided uh, as part of God, the Godhead, the Trinity, to uh, come and enter earth and to put on flesh and to walk amongst us. And so, um, as a result, uh, Jesus himself is the first, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 16 is really powerful because it teaches us about uh, how we are to, to live in light of who Jesus is. It says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven 
and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Let me say that part one more time. All things were created through him and for him. So this is a powerful verse, very compact uh, sentence there that the Apostle Paul provides for us that essentially says that Jesus is the answer. He is the reason why everything is created and he is the power through which everything has been created. Everything is created through him and for him. So we want to think about that. Our, our lives then, as we, as we ask ourselves this question, what does this mean for us today? What this essentially means is we fall into this um, category of things that have been created through him and for him. We are created for Jesus, for Christ. We are created by, his, uh, by him and through his image, and we're also created for him. In other words, our life is not our own. Uh, God has created us so that we can live in such a way that brings honor and glory back to him um, so that our lives should bear fruit, um, bear fruit of the gospel so that we are living in such a way that points to Jesus. Uh, so that if we do anything, we'll be able to say it's because of Jesus. If there's anything good in us, we could say it's because of Jesus. If God has done anything good in our lives, we could say it's because of Jesus. So all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I'm not going to read the next section of uh, verses in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, but I do want to highlight for a second that that was the passage that refers to the fact that we were once enemies of God, and now we've been reconciled with God. We, we were once enemies with God, and now we've been reconciled with God. We were enemies because of our sin. We're enemies because of our rebellion. Enemies because we oftentimes uh, have our own plan of how we want to live our lives. That is, uh, that is different from the intention that God had when he gave us the, the privilege of having life. Um, so as a result, uh, the word for that is sin. Sin causes us to be separated from God and from God's intentions for us, that instead of living in accordance with uh, the purpose that he created us for, we uh, begin to take matters into our own hands, do it, whatever it is that we want to do that leads to rebellion, that leads to pride, that leads to separation. Um, so, so Jesus himself conquers this sin by dying on the cross, by giving us an invitation to be reconciled with God, to no longer live as enemies of God, separated from God, distinct from God, but instead we're, we've been invited now to have fellowship with God, to live in alignment with our Heavenly Father and our Creator, so that our lives are uh, able to reflect His goodness and His character in our lives. Um, and so that's essentially what verses 21 through 23 is saying. So I want to go ahead and jump now to chapter 2, which is what we're focusing on, Colossians chapter 2. For those who are jumping in and joining us, we are reading uh, the book of Colossians. I did a quick summary and recap of a few verses in chapter 1 so that we can understand the flow of the letter in Colossians as we move into chapter 2. So we're going to go ahead and get started with reading chapter 2 at this point. So chapter 2 verse 1 says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love 
and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, so chapter 2 starts out essentially by uh, Paul reminding them that he loves the church. He's reminding them just because he has not seen them physically in the flesh doesn't mean that he does not love them, that he's not thinking about them, that he doesn't care for them. And in fact, he's saying uh, to them here that he cares deeply for the church um, in Colossae and the church in Laodicea. Um, so he's, he's reminding them, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, being knit together in love. So keep that in mind. That's important as we study this chapter, knit together in love. We're going to understand why that's important later in the chapter as we start to look at the various uh, issues that, that uh, were taking place at this church. Um, he says, make sure that you are being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So some of you might be thinking, why is it that Paul is taking the time to refer to the riches of a full assurance of understanding, of knowledge, um, of wisdom? And the reason why he's spending so much time referring to how much wisdom they have access to, how much knowledge they have access to, is because um, he is dealing with a church who was being uh, attacked by false teaching. Um, people who were teaching uh, doctrine that was, um, that was wrong, that was false, that was essentially um, trying to convince the church that they didn't know enough, that they need to read uh, other um, sources, that there's a special way to attain wisdom and knowledge. Um, and if they wanted to receive that kind of wisdom and knowledge, they had to follow this particular person or they had to read these particular texts. And uh, instead, uh, Paul is starting here by essentially saying to them, you have enough to know what is true and what is right in God and in Christ, in the scriptures. You don't need some kind of super um, revelation or special knowledge in order to be considered uh, Christian, in order to be considered special. Paul's telling them you have access to it. The mystery of God is already accessible to you. Um, so, so then he goes on to explain in verse 4 and following. He says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let me read that part one more time. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, um, Christ is your Lord. Um, you've become a Christian. He says, if that is the case, he says, now make sure your life is in alignment with that, uh, with that reality, the reality that you belong to Jesus. How, how can we see the fruit and the evidence that you belong to Jesus? In other words, if we have been uh, saved by God and we are no longer our own, but now we belong to Jesus, in what ways is there evidence 
in our lives that we in fact are followers of Jesus? Have we learned how to love better? Have we learned how to um, treat others with more uh, kindness and respect? Have we learned how to avoid temptation? Have we learned how to um, be uh, eager to show kindness, generosity in the world that we live in? Have we grown a hunger for the word of God and the things of God? Um, these are some of the indicators that we are in fact walking with Christ and not just uh, uh, calling ourselves by the name of Christ because we have uh, maybe said a prayer once upon a time or grew up going to church. Um, Paul's saying here, make sure that if, if you have been saved by Christ, he says, so walk in him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him. Let me just break those words down. First in verse 7, it says rooted. It's essential as uh, those of us who are a part of the body of Christ as believers to be rooted. What does that mean to be rooted? That means we are rooted in God's word. We're rooted in the truth of scripture. We're rooted in prayer. We're, we're rooted in Christian community and in fellowship. We are not um, like a potted plant that can pick up and be placed anywhere at any time. Our roots are set deep into the ground. And that's important in the day and age that we live in, uh, where people are afraid to sink roots, where they want to be more mobile, where they want to be able to determine where to go and what to do. Um, Paul's saying here, be sure that you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So uh, keep in mind that we are called to live our lives uh, as those uh, who are uh, demonstrating our, our thankfulness, our gratitude in our hearts. That's a, uh, a significant marker of the believer is that we are wa walking and living in gratitude, not as complainers, not as grumblers, not as those with a negative spirit, uh, pessimistic spirit, but we are those who uh, we were aware of all that God has done and is doing. And we are regularly uh, making a confession of that and saying, thank you, Lord, for um, all that you've done for me. Um, verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul's now starting to talk about some of these teachers, these false teachers, who were coming to spoil the Christians and the church. They were coming to plant seeds of doubt. They were coming to plant seeds of deception. Um, they were trying to start their own churches, but in fact, they were really cults because they weren't teaching scripture. Paul is saying, do not follow empty philosophies or empty deceit. He says the traditions of men are the basic principles of the world uh, that are not according to Christ. He says in verse nine, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. And you say that one more time. Church, you are complete in him, in Jesus. You are complete in Jesus. We are complete in Christ. Uh, oftentimes people think they need to somehow couple Christ with something else in order to achieve true uh, enlightenment or true salvation or true freedom. And they're like, okay, well, I just need to pursue Christ and do this other thing. I need to go to these classes and read these books and learn these principles. And there's lots of great things to learn out there. But when it comes to our faith, we need nothing more than to know Jesus, to know him through the scriptures. Uh, we don't need uh, 10 secrets to a, a more spiritual life or 
uh, ways to achieve nirvana or you, you name it. There are a number of different things that the world will say you need to pursue in order to find salvation, in order to find happiness. And what we'll say in return is, all I need is Christ. All I need is the Word of God uh, teaching me who Jesus is and what that means for me to live faithfully un unto Him. I don't need to add all these additional self-help things. I don't need to go study under somebody or, or go on a, a pilgrimage to another country. All of those things are could be good. Some of them could be bad. Um, but essentially, Paul is saying to this group here, uh, the church in, in Colossae, that stop worrying about pursuing all these extra philosophies and all these other uh, ideas that people are trying to uh, convince you of. He says, just stay, keep it simple, keep it basic, keep it uh, scriptural, uh, keep it connected to the body of Christ. He says, you have everything you need in Jesus. You, that's what he means when he says you are complete in him. Um, so he's teaching this to them because there were people who were coming and saying, oh, no, 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 don't listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say. He doesn't know better. Uh, what you really need to do is come so that we could teach you these 20 principles on how to live a more holy life. And then people go and, and they start uh, teaching a number of deceptive things. Um, and, and oftentimes people in the church today are very much um, intrigued by and uh, and interested in some of these philosophies that are out there. Um, oh man, I just need to learn how to, you know, uh, do this special prayer technique. And once I go to this person's church to learn how they, they do this special prayer technique, then I'm going to become holier. I need to really learn exactly how to put my hand on somebody when I'm praying for them. And, and because this other person has that gift and if I could learn it from them, then, then I'll know exactly how to be powerful in my, in my witness and in my life. And, and there's a number of different things that we can set up for ourselves to think that as long as we have that extra knowledge, or that extra wisdom, or that extra technique, or that extra um, uh, um, uh, super special invitation to learn this 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 mysterious thing then i'll become a stronger christian and and, and i don't i want to make sure nobody is being convinced or uh, enticed by any of these uh false teachings that are trying to add to scripture to say yeah you should know the scripture but you also need to know um these other truths that aren't in the bible as soon as you start hearing some of those things run away from that don't go to that prayer meeting don't go to that church um, because they're starting to teach things that are outside of the scriptures. Oftentimes it's because people like the, um, the, uh, the, the attention that they get by, by, uh, by presenting something new, something flashy. Oh, look at these five new ways to pray. Uh, uh, six steps on how to become a, a, a healing evangelist. Um, so there are a number of different things that we need to be cautious of. Um, as we just want to be faithful to God by studying scripture and keeping it, bringing it back to scripture, not being drawn aside uh, by some of these philosophies that are uh, claiming to be Christian, claiming to be of the Lord, but in reality are, are made up. Um, off, there are a number of religions that are out there that are made up in the same exact way. And we want to make sure we stay close to the teachings of God's word and not be uh, enticed by special knowledge or uh, secret wisdom. It's all there. We got it. It's in the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. 
Um, that's the best uh, revelation of the mystery of God is right here in the word of God. We don't need any any other uh, additional sources that we need to look to to give us uh, extra guidance. It's it's here, it's clear, it's plain, um, and, uh, and and Paul is encouraging the church along those, those lines. Um, so we have a few more verses left in verses 11 and following. We're going to go ahead and start reading through that section and making a few comments. Essentially, this next section is talking about uh, legalism. And legalism is this notion that we... Um, in order for us to be right with God, uh, we have to check all the boxes, do all the right things, and make sure we're doing them the exact right way um, to make God happy and to be right with God. Um, and, and we want to uh, avoid unhealthy forms of religiosity and legalism. Instead, we want to be guided by the Spirit of Christ in us. Um, so verses 11 and following of chapter 2. Um, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Let me pause right there. You might be wondering, what does that mean to be circumcised with the circumcision made by made without hands? Uh, some who might not be as familiar with scripture, you might be wondering, why is Paul all of a sudden talking about a medical procedure? Um, it's because uh, circumcision um, during the Old Testament and the New Testament times was not just a medical procedure, um, but it was a religious uh, procedure and practice as well. Um, it was something that was instituted uh, early on to separate uh, the people of God as God's people. Um, so we have the beginning of the practice of, uh, of, of holy circumcision with Abraham, um, who was uh, called out from his family and uh, started a people, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. And so circumcision from that point on was always a clear marker and indicator that that people belonged to God. Uh, but the problem is, over the, over the decades, over the centuries, it, it, it became less of a marker uh, that, that the people belonged to God, and it all of a sudden now became a legalistic, physical um, action or physical form of demonstrating that somebody belongs to God. And the New Testament gives us a new teaching um, that we learn through Christ and through Paul, through the disciples, that um, it doesn't really matter whether or not one is physically circumcised in their flesh. He says what's more important is that we are circumcised in our heart. In other words, uh, we, should be, um, we should belong to God and have markers of our identity in Christ uh, as things that are more inward as opposed to outward. Um, anybody could look the part outwardly, but not anybody can, uh, can, can, can be that inwardly. Um, so Paul's starting by saying here, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised us from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven all of your trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility 
and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Um, so this section of scriptures is reminding the church here, don't get caught up in man-made traditions. Don't get caught up in things uh, that are outward in nature. Be focused instead on the inward life, the inner life. Uh, how is it that we are inwardly living in such a way that is consistent with who Christ has called us to be? Um, don't worry, he's saying, don't, don't be so concerned about the food that you eat. Many of us know that uh, the dietary restrictions, kosher uh, uh, restrictions, and, and food laws from the Old Testament uh, were and continue to be significant for, um, for Jews and for, for the people of Israel. Um, and so Paul is saying to them here, do not let uh, food become a, an impediment to your ability to live for Christ. Um, he's essentially saying here, let's not be a stumbling block to Gentiles, to the non-Jews, um, for, uh, for, for asking of them to change their entire culture in order to follow after Christ. Um, remember, we, uh, Peter had that, that uh, revelation in Acts where he was taken to the, uh, the, the roof of a home, the home of Simon the Tanner, where he um, was essentially uh, uh, given a vision from God um, that was teaching him to no longer judge uh, the Gentiles because they ate foods that Jews would not eat. Um, so Peter was convicted of the fact that he was judging and segregating and discriminating against Gentiles uh, due to food choices. And instead, uh, the, the, the operative verse within that passage of Scripture in the book of Acts says, uh, God says, what, what, I have called un, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. So again, um, Paul's reiterating this same truth to the church by telling them, um, don't act like uh, what you eat um, is more important than how you live your life. Um, whether or not you eat pork is not as clear of an indicator of your holiness and godliness as to whether or not you are uh, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit and living in such a way that demonstrates Christ-like character. Um, so Paul's saying, don't get caught up in food. Don't get caught up in what you wear. Don't get caught up in where what... what uh, uh, what what uh, birthday parties or celebrations you have within your culture? He says, focus on Jesus. Um, don't start going after those people who um, start creating all these extra rules. Oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And as a Christian, you're not supposed to do this. Well, where did you get that from? You're making that up. There's a lot of man-made rules. And so we, as as the the church, we want to be able to look to Scripture to guide us in our life and in our holiness. All right, we're almost done. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Um, so again, he closes out the chapter essentially by saying, "Don't focus on the um, uh, don't focus on the minor things." Paul's saying, "Focus on the major things. Don't get caught up in creating all these, 
you know, little minuscule rules and regulations that uh, dictate someone's life in order for them to be considered Christian. Instead, let's focus on, okay, uh, what would Christ expect of me? How should I treat uh, my neighbor? How should I treat my enemy? How should I treat my wife and my children? How do I live in a way that's honoring of God when I go to work? Um, how do I share my faith? Uh, how do I pray for others with power and conviction? How do I know God's word so that I could live in it and I could be able to share the truth of God's scripture wherever it is that I go? These are the bigger things. Those are the things that we should be focusing on, not minor things. Um, so this is a good word from Paul to the church in uh, chapter 2 of Colossians. And uh, this brings us to a conclusion for this evening in our Bible study. Thanks to everybody for jumping in and joining us. Um, hope that you have a great rest of your evening. We look forward to seeing you around on Facebook Live or uh, physically in person at the church. And until then, God be with you. God bless you, each and every single one of you. Let's continue studying God's word together. Let's stay away from false teaching, um, from those who impose unnecessary rules that are man-made and not God-made. In instead, let's focus on Jesus because he's enough. We don't need anything more than that. We don't need any special revelation from some random person that says they have knowledge and wisdom that uh, doesn't come from the Word of God, but it only comes through X, Y, and Z. Um, we have enough in Jesus. We have enough in the Word of God, um, and we can follow that and uh, take that with us. All right, everybody, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and we will be dismissed for this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to be together, to study your word, uh, teach us. Help us, Lord, not to be uh, legalists. Those who are so concerned with the outward appearance, are so concerned with all a number of extra additional rules and regulations that we miss the mark of what it means to be faithful to you in our lives, in our actions. Um, teach us, Lord, to be faithful to you in all the right things. Um, thank you for uh, dying for us, for inviting us into uh, your death and resurrection. Um, so that just as we are baptized into the water, we come back up anew uh, with brand new lives thanks to your uh, resurrection power. Um, so live in us, uh, transform us, work in us, move in us, make us more and more like you. Help us to walk with you just as uh, we have been saved by you. We love you, God. We thank you that you are enough for us. Um, we don't need anything else uh, but just your love and your presence with us. Um, and we uh, value that deeply. Uh, it transforms us, it moves us, and it causes us to want to seek you even more. Um, so Lord, teach us, forgive us of our sin, forgive us as we have um, uh, fallen out of alignment with your will um, because of our own pride, because of our uh, laziness, because of our rebellion. Um, teach us instead, Lord, to be, uh, uh, to be eager to know you more and to follow you even more closely in our daily lives. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen. All right, we'll see you. See you soon.